Hello, and welcome back to the iPod Podcast. Last episode, we spoke to a parent with a teen. This week, we'll be getting the perspective of a teacher who works in middle and high school. First, let's talk about the ability that cell phones give us to mask our identity. Now, we've touched on this during previous episodes, but let's unpack this thing. The real problem with this is that, according to Dr. Kristen Schroeder, it has a serious effect on people's self-confidence because they see people who only post half their lives and think that their lives are terrible. In order to really look into how cell phones and social media affect teens, let's talk to a teacher about her perspective. Please welcome Ms. Algren, a middle and high school math teacher just to the show. Thank you, Ms. Algren. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so to start off, how do you use technology in your classroom? So mostly in the math classroom, we use technology to help illustrate ideas and concepts that it's hard to see on paper. Um, so for kind of dynamic interactions, particularly like in geometry, um, we use it to be able to like play with different triangles and see how the angles and the sides change or um, to investigate changes in graphs, things that would be hard to see just on paper. And how does this help or uh, not help students learn uh, in a more effective way? Again, so sometimes being able to see um, how uh, a graph changes or a a shape changes um, like quickly, right? Being able to like drag sliders and see how it changes um, provides uh, an insight into the concept and how the shapes are built or how the graphs are um, relate to the equations in a way that you wouldn't be able to see. Um, and so again, like if you didn't have that technology, you we would have to try to draw thousands of graphs instantly, right? Which or it would just you wouldn't be able to see that that dynamic, the the movement, the change. Yeah. Um. And do you ever see students on their phones when they're not supposed to, or have you seen them that in middle school or when you were teaching in high school and like how does that change how they learn? Yeah, so um, definitely much less here at CFI than I have I had at my previous schools. So um, before coming to CFI, I taught high school um, and at three different high schools. And um, it really depended on how good the school culture was at keeping cell phones like in pockets or in lockers, right? How much it affected, but um, I definitely saw a shift across my career. Um, So when I first started teaching, cell phones were still um, out of the expense range for most of my students. So um, one, very few of my kids even had them, if anyone. And um, even then, all they did was texting and calls. And so, um, and it was the kind of texting where you had to hit the numbers to get the letters, right? So uh, most of the kids wouldn't do it during class, or if they would, it was like super obvious because they had to hit a whole bunch of buttons. Um, but then, uh, so it was like one kid out of you know, 30 that would have a cell phone, and so it really wasn't much of a, a distraction. It wasn't much of a problem. So, but we also didn't have technology that we could use in the classroom, right? Like there wasn't as, much, uh, as many um, good ways to use the technology either. Um, But then as my career went on, like cell phones became more and more prevalent and and uh, it became like a constant battle in the classroom to keep kids like engaged in what we were doing because there would be more exciting things they could be doing 
um, on their cell phones. And it wasn't just cell phones. We went through a time at Howe where we had um, one-to-one technology. So every student got um, a laptop that they could take home and it had internet that they could use and we were expected to use them in the classroom. And so we did put a lot more of our math content online, but then it became like really trying to keep the kids um, engaged with what we were doing versus like playing games online or Skyping with each other right during during the school day and so um it like it's not only just that it's you know it became more prevalent but like it's really hard as a teacher to compete with a device that like connects them to all their friends and is is like built to be addictive and built to be engaging right so schools have to have really solid like device policies in place so that they're that they're not abused yeah, and uh, do you think that those policies, do you think they should be like an absolute no phones, no no uh, outside technology policy, or do you think it should be like uh, just more restrictive? Yeah, I think it needs to be somewhere in the middle. I think if you, well, I don't know, it's so tough. So if you, I, I like that here it's like it's not supposed to be out, it's not supposed to be anywhere seen unless like the teacher tells you to get it out um, because that has helped it be less of a distraction from uh like during the class period itself um because it's it's pretty well known like there there are no exceptions to this at the same time like having them available to use sometimes like students know that technology so much better than they know any other technology so um, it can be really handy for students to have them in their pockets and to get out and to use um you know anywhere from just looking up some information really quick like in geometry the other day when um, Meta was investigating um, the slow reveal graph we were doing and she brought some great information to the table, right, because I let her use her phone to look up some, some information. And that was much quicker than her going over, getting a computer, logging on to the computer. You know, she would have lost interest by the time she got there, Yeah. right? Um, and also, again, like, something like Kahoot, right, where um, having one-to-one devices can be helpful um so there's times that it really is nice to have and so i i I wouldn't want to go fully restrictive um but at the same time uh you do need a a pretty no-nonsense policy the rest of the time right like pretty exclusive except for when the teacher specific like explicitly articulates it's okay yeah and uh you know talking about how kids are on it when they're not supposed to be do you think Mm -hmm. it's been harder to control kids or stop them from being on that as social media has become more popular like since it's become less focused or towards uh, older audiences and more directed towards younger oh definitely again it's it's infinite connection right in your pocket right and I think about how addicted I myself am to social media and my you know my husband and and our family and so um, I know you know I during class don't ever do that because you know I'm being paid and I have a job and but the moment you know I'm on breaks and on lunch and, you know I'm on social media I'm looking at that stuff and so um there's no doubt that it is constant temptation it's a constant pull particularly you know when when your phone is buzzing in your pocket and you're getting notifications that you know people are commenting or liking or doing whatever and so um I can only imagine having that same like pull as a as a teenager right like if you know, social media and cell phones weren't a thing when I was in middle school and in high school. And so 
um, I can only imagine how uh, addictive and tempting it is for kids. And so then again, it becomes a constant struggle of when when the device policies aren't um, well enforced, then it becomes a constant battle because um, like as engaging as I can make our material, it's 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 never going to compete with the addiction in your pocket, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, you talked a little bit about your use of social media. Mm-hmm. I know you do a lot with, like, uh, you helped redo the iLearn or the iStep testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did a lot with that. How do you use, like, social media to help uh, spread awareness for stuff like that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So- social media for me has been a huge help with my, like, policy work and um, the work I've done um, through various organizations across the state to help improve um education for kids for kids in Indiana and so I as much as I'm addicted to the personal side um, and, and sometimes I think well maybe I should cut back um, on Facebook or, or Twitter or the like um, I, every time I contemplate doing a hiatus of some sort I, I rem, I'm reminded of how much those connections have helped me because um, you know I have I have friends on Facebook and, and connections on Twitter that um, some of them are people I've never met but I have been able to build a network of educators and policymakers um, all across the the state who then I can um, reach to and journalists even right that I can reach to when I see a, a problem that needs fixed or I can help advocate to them right for what changes need to be made and so yeah without that social media aspect where like we're connected at all you know and can reach each other at any time and get that little bit of a personal touch too right Um, I keep my Facebook um, pretty bland I would say and my Twitter pretty bland it's it's um, you know half pictures of my kids and half like work-related stuff you know it's nothing too crazy but you know it's it's sharing my thoughts and beliefs with those policymakers with those journalists with um, those other educators while still having that personal touch of right they know they know me as a person they know my child right they know and so it it helps build connections and relationships um that you can then later cash in on right um because they 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 know me as more than just uh i don't know someone coming to to lobby them at the state house they know a little about about me and my passions and what i care about and that i really am in it for kids uh versus like just someone coming because I, I have the wrong motives. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really cool thing. Uh, I know we talked a little about a little about bit about this earlier, about like how you didn't have this as a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, who would you say to blame is, and who would you say is to blame for the obsession that Gen Z has with like cell phones and social media, like how addicted they are to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if if anyone is to blame um, so much again the the technology itself is is addictive and is built to be addictive and if anything um, we've we've capitalized right um, social media in such a way and, and really all of internet usage the 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 monetary structure of how websites and um, various sites and videos right are paid for their content has um, really led to this, you know, idea of clickbait and um, trying to get as extreme as possible to get views. And so, um, 
if anything is to blame, I'd say is like the the monetization structure that has developed on the internet and how people are paid for content makes it so that we try to make more and more engaging and more and more provocative content. And so um, sometimes facts are overridden by um, just trying to get people to click, right? And so then, again, it, it just makes it more and more addictive because it's more and more extreme and more and more exciting and engaging, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, again, like, there's there's great things about the Internet and there's great things about social media. Um, I think it's it's fascinating to me, though, because um, we... we <laughs> like, when the Internet first started developing, um, I was a kid when... And my dad was actually on the the internet in its most basic forms back in the 80s um and it was just neat to me that like we could talk you know we could send messages to people on the computer right or we could um it was I mean I remember like it wasn't even visual based it was like text based all the all the internet sites and like my dad explaining like what it was going to be um had all these great hopes for like you know having all this world's knowledge at your fingertips right and um, particularly when social media first started becoming a thing and you could connect with, um, for me, it was I was in college, you could connect with high school friends that I hadn't seen um, in years and didn't talk to regularly because we didn't all have cell phones yet, right? And it was long distance and, and all of this. Um, it Like, I could have never envisioned, I don't think, where we are today, right? And how, yes, all this all this information is there at your fingertips, but it's really hard to wade through and find the good information, right? It's We've gone from, like, um, not having enough information in, in a school library or encyclopedias, right, to having all of this information to the point where it's, like, overload, right? And yeah. we don't – it's hard for even me as an adult to wade through news stories and pick out which ones are, are unbiased and which ones are real and which ones um, – like, what – information is accurate is wikipedia accurate is like this website have accurate information or is it should i go to this source right because everyone kind of has their own monetary agenda right um on the internet and i don't think that's anything that i could have predicted right yeah i I think you know having so many different people online so many uh unreliable resources it's it's a big problem how do you think that uh schools should do or do you think that schools should do more like internet safety or mental health education? Oh gosh, yeah. And like, like I didn't even get into previous like the the idea of like how stressful social media drama has to be on teenagers, right? That the idea that those connections that I found so um, exhilarating in in two thousand two, right? When or two thousand three, like the fact that I could connect with my my old classmates and friends, like. The fact that that has become something like which is a source of stress and drama, right, for kids, and so I think, uh, yeah, as as schools, like we have to adapt with what our students' challenges are, and w- like both on the mental health aspect and like information education side, right. So, um, I think again, it's it's such a challenging thing today to be able to analyze resources and know which ones are are good and appropriate to use for research or just even to inform yourself of, of what's going on. And so information literacy is, is a huge part of what I think schools need to do in the 21st century. Um, and luckily, we, you know, we have a fantastic media specialist uh, here at CFI that you guys get to work with um, weekly uh, to, to learn about information 
access and, and how to wade through those. And you have, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities to work with other teachers on, on research and, and helping kind of build some of those skills in. And then on the, the mental health side, um, mental health as, as a whole has been something that schools have, have only fairly recently been doing um, a better job at addressing. Um, so regardless of social media, right, like schools used to kind of uh, pawn off the responsibility for mental health challenges on, on other people, right? So they would, oh, well, you need to get help from this outside agency or um, we're just not gonna even address that you have a problem. It's only been, as I've seen a shift in my career, even over the last five years to 10 years of really digging into student mental health challenges and how that, and student trauma and how those things affect students in the classroom. And so definitely social media and the uh, mental health challenges that come with um, like the stress of social media and the, and the internet, right, um, is a big part of what we need to do. And so um, helping kids uh, learn how to turn it off when they need to, right? Um, how to navigate online friendships and online interactions and prevent online bullying and all of those things um, are things that as we focus more on social emotional learning in schools, like it's a big part of what we have to do, right? Um, and again, we, we're lucky at CFI to have things like advisory and homeroom and we have a full-time social worker those things are all unique, or like not all schools have those things. And so I, I would like to hope that um, when kids are having those challenges, that we have an opportunity to talk about them. Uh, and, but I don't, when I think back to like, I don't do homeroom, but when we think, I think back to advisory, I can't, I can think of very few times we've ever even talked about um, online bullying or online harassment. And so that might be something that we could look into talking with Ms. Snow about adding more to our curriculum and making sure that that's a is important piece of the mental health um, lessons that we do as other forms of stress, right? Yeah, those are some really great points. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you for joining me, Miss Algren. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hi. That was Mrs. Algren. Throughout this show, we talk about many things. The school we talk about is CFI, an IB school in Indianapolis that Ben and I both attend. Ms. Salgren is a teacher there, and Tracy is a parent there. Ms. Salgren is mostly known for her work remaking the standardized testing in Indiana and helping to fight for increased teacher pay in IPS, or Indianapolis Public Schools. On the next episode, we will speak with Dr. Kristen Schroeder and see what she has to think.